It's good to be back with you today. I wondered if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua, and I'd like to look at chapter 2. So there's, if you brought a Bible with you or on your device, I'd like to read the majority of the chapter as a jump-off point into our discussion this morning. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we read, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the spies have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, so that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes out of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who's in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Again, let's just pause and pray. Dear Lord and have Father, as we look at this passage, this complicated woman, we just ask, Lord, the Holy Spirit, that you'd come down in our midst, And that you would speak to us the message that you want each of us to hear. For we do not want to refuse the one, you, that is speaking to us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we want to embark on a bit of a new series. And Craig introduced it as we look at a number of Old Testament characters over the next few weeks. And as we look at their lives, because they help us model this idea of faith, what it looked like from their perspective, so that we can get our arms around it. I often find that when we 
when people who are not familiar with God's word begin to talk about God's word, or you even talk about it in a, a work context when they talk about, say, a Google Bible, or they look at the Bible as an idea, more like a textbook where you would look up certain things and get answers. But I have to tell you, I love the word of God because it's not written in that fashion. God's word, as it comes to us, is written more like a story. And in the midst of that story, we have God revealing himself. And so he, we, he reveals himself to us, but in the midst of it, he also reveals to us everything that we need for life and godliness. But it's not written as, you know, facts, point by point, like we would want to do it. It's, as I said, it's written at a story. So it's, it's necessary for us to kind of pull at the threads of this story and see what they have to say to us. So the Bible, we can read the Bible as a story, and that's a great starting point. But we're also told to meditate on God's Word, to kind of pull at those threads and see what it has to say to us, because God's Word is living. And so we need to be, as James reminds us, to be a careful hearer, just not just hear it and tuck it away, and well, that's another fact. That's good for if I have a conversation. But we need to hear and do what it says. So this morning, what we're going to do, and I uh, hope you'll agree with me at the end, we want to pull at some of the threads of this complicated woman's life, Rahab, and see what this woman who lived 3,400 years ago, Rahab the prostitute, a woman of ill repute, and see what she has to say to us here today in 2022. Now, as I look at Joshua 2, to, as I want to work through a couple things so that you can follow where I'm going, and hopefully I haven't confused you, I tend to do that quite a bit, but I want to take a look at maybe a bit about the conquest, and then I want us to look at Rahab's character, to understand what makes this woman tick, before we do a deep dive into her confidence in her confession and then ultimately, I want us to step back. So we want to look, focus very narrow in. And then I want to step back and look at some of the outcomes that her confidence had in her life and the lives of others. Now, Joshua 2, again, starts in verse 1, as they usually do. And it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And for most of us, that kind of, there's a bunch of lights shooting off in our, on the switchboard when you read that. But to kind of put it in context, the children of Israel had left Egypt 40 years before. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses was now dead. And Joshua was the one who was going to lead them into the land. At this point in time, they were camped on the east side of the Jordan. And so we see now Joshua had brought them to this point because God had promised them the land of Canaan. And the, the first obstacle they had to go through was to get across the Jordan. And so we see that Joshua brought them to the point, because there wasn't a bridge, that Joshua brought them to the point where the Jordan would be at its shallowest. Now, unfortunately, it was at flood stage at this point, and God would certainly intervene, but it was at a point where it was shallow enough that at the right time of the year, they could walk across. The first place they would come to now, because the Jordan was in this flat Jordan Valley, uh, at the bottom of the Jordan Valley, you've got what? The Dead Sea, if you remember your geography. But there, they crossed the Jordan, and about five miles from the Jordan was this city called Jericho. Jericho, as we see in our text, was a city that had walls. And so for protection, when you built a city, you would put walls, whether it had double walls and Rahab's house it was in between the two walls, or whether her outside wall was part of the wall, 
Our text doesn't say. Um, you can think about that if, if you want. But Jericho was built now, because it was an Arab country, Jericho was built around this artesian well, so there was a bountiful supply of water there. And they, so they built this city and the focus, and it was around it. And so, but I come into chapter two, and I'm asking myself, well, what's going through this guy Joshua's head? Because Joshua, if we remember, 40 years before, Numbers 13, what happened? God very publicly told them to send spies into the land. There was 12 of them. Ten were bad and two were good, I think. I'm trying to remember how we used to teach the kids that song. Joshua and Caleb were the two good spies. There were ten other ones. But the, they came, they went into the land, and they saw that it flowed with milk and honey. But they saw the fortifications and the people that were there. And rather than go in confidently, then we, we know the story that they turned away from trusting God and the consequences. So you have the question in my mind, is Joshua thinking, I don't want to repeat of 40 years ago here, so what does he do? Because God didn't tell him to send the spies like they did in Numbers 13. He takes two young men, two spies, and he tells them to go in. And you know, he's focusing on the first major battle because the first place they're going to come to, because that's where they had to cross, is Jericho. And so he tells them particularly, take a look at Jericho, understand what's going on. Because at that point, to capture a city with walls, what would happen? Well, you know that people would stand on the top of the wall and shooting arrows at you. And you basically, once the walls, because they're stone and the gates are shut, you're not going to be able to conquer that city. So what do you do? Well, you would basically starve them out. Now, they had a lot of water built around that artesian well. And they've probably been putting provisions in for maybe for years because they knew what was coming. And so Joshua, strategically, you're thinking, well, how do we do this? Maybe I see a, there's, they saw this window in the wall. Maybe that's a place of entry. We don't know what's going on in the text. Joshua was commissioned in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, and we see that God had told him that no one will be able to stand up against you. But you see, as I would say, as I look at this, this you see Joshua now acting strategically, thinking, well, or the spies trying to say, well, how do we penetrate this city? Is there a way to get in the walls? And so what do they do? They, they go in, and they, and they enter this house that had a window at the top, right? Over, out, overlooking the walls. There's so much not said in the text, and there's so much that's not said in the text that causes us to wonder and, and to see the beauty. Because if you look at the book of Joshua, you particularly see, and this truth is valid for all of us today, you have this picture of human interaction, and we see God calling us to certain things. You see human interaction. In the midst of human interaction, we always have divine intervention, don't we? And so we see the spies, whether they thought they were detected, whatever. We see God's leading, bringing them to Rahab's door, who quickly welcomes them in. There was sometimes a question, especially if you look at Jewish writers, was Rahab a prostitute or an innkeeper? Because in that culture, they were often synonymous terms. But make no mistake about it, you go into the New Testament, it's clearly state Rahab was a prostitute, not a temple prostitute, but a prostitute, that being said. But you have this sense as I look at this, these guys show up at the door, her door, and you have a sense that Rahab knew immediately who they were. And you have her, as you look at the text, because it all kind of happened within an hour of, of, of the sun setting, 
that they've entered, the king's men are detect them, they show up at her door. But you see Rahab now, this resourceful woman Rahab, springs into actions. She's, it's almost as if she suspects they've been detected. She knows she has to hide them, and she, she takes them up on the flat roof of her house. And so we, again, I think it's relevant in terms of the text, or I'm always trying to figure things out, and my wife is saying, stick to the themes, so we'll have a conversation over lunch. But that being said, we don't have, it's, it's not like a hay mow piled up on the roof of her house. It said she had flax straw there. So what was going on? So if you were to make linen cloth, what do you do? You grow flax. Flax would grow about three feet high, and it's got these long fibers in it. And so what you would do is you'd pull the plants up by the root because you don't want to miss any of the fiber. You'd take the flax and you put it in water, and it, they taught, that's what they call it, redding. The plant material disintegrates, and you now have these plants you take out, you lay them in the sun to blanch and, and to dry and to be bleached so you can ultimately comb out the fiber and make, weave it into cloth or twist it into rope or a cord, we don't know. So we see here now Rahab springing into action. She takes them up on the roof, and she, it's almost as if she tells them to lie down, and I'm sure she, as I look at her, she probably said, keep your mouth shut, and she covers them with the flax that she was leaving there on the roof to dry and, and to bleach. And so she, she comes downstairs, and again, there's the knock at the door. The king's men show up, and what does she do? And it's like there's no hesitation with this woman. Um, she tells the king's men that they left. And you can almost have her looking at the road to the Jordan, pointing them in that direction. She says they've left, and you better hurry and quickly follow them. They believe her lie. She was a good liar, along with being a prostitute. And, um, and there, once as everything settles down, it now becomes night, so it's dark. The guy, I'm, not, I'm sure she took them up food. The text again doesn't say... But there when it's night, before they lie down for bed um, and sleep, she goes up and she opens her heart. Now, before I look at her confession, I want to read verses 12 and 13 because it helps me understand this character. She says now in 12 and 13, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to me, and that you'll save us from death. Now, before we go too deep with this, I need to tell you in our English Bible, there's two Hebrew words that are rendered Rahab. Very, they're very close. We have Rahab that you'd, that's mentioned maybe in the Psalms and in Isaiah, referring to Egypt, and it means the idea of being loud and emboldened and haughty. And in Joshua chapter 2, it's a slightly different word for Rahab. And it, it refers to the word that has the idea of being wide or spacious. And so as I kind of looked at Rahab's life, I see how she deals with her family. The people associated were with this wide open hand. But as I said, when I look at Rahab, I don't know, my head's been shaking the last couple of weeks as I try and get my round about it because I find her quite complex. As a starting point, we need to understand, just as with everyone we meet, we need to understand the culture in which they come from. But she lived in a society that was completely evil, as evil as Sodom and Gomorrah, probably even more so. And so we see here as part of, even history would bear that out in terms of what they would find from that Canaanite culture. And so from that society as well, 
They lived in a society that was saturated with sex. So we think it's bad today and we can see how it's going. Their society was saturated with sex so that even in the worship of their gods, there was, there's ritual prostitution that even would occur there. And so it seems sex, no matter how degraded it was, is almost as, as acceptable, normal behavior. Often when maybe it's the cop shows we watch, when I think of a prostitute and I tend to stereotype and I, I realize that is wrong, but I often look at a young girl, deeply troubled, scarred, trapped in a lifestyle. Um, whether, but our text doesn't tell us, did her parents sell Rahab into prostitution? Did, was it something she chose? It doesn't, it doesn't say. But it forces me to always back away from these stereotypes I so quickly want to cast. Because when I look at Rahab, the farthest thing from my mind would be that she's a prostitute. Um, because you look at her lifestyle, because if I look at her character, what do I see? Well, I see this woman that's resourceful, and she's industrious. She knows how to get things done, and people who don't, can't get things done drive me crazy at times. Um, she's looking out. She's a leader. She's telling the spies what to do. She tells the king's men what to do. She's telling her family what to do. She's this leader. If Sometimes on Mother's Day, we would read Proverbs 31, the wife of normal character. And I go through the list of Proverbs 31, and I'm looking in Scripture of a wife of noble character. The one person in Scripture that seems to fit that bill, but didn't, was Rahab. And so we see her, as I said, taking charge, being industrious, doing the things that, that would be commendable. And what I find so surprising is she wasn't just worried about her own skin, was she? That she, that she very prominently is asking for her whole extended family, even if they were the ones that trapped her in prostitution in the first place, which I suspect might have well been the case. But from this character, now we see as she opens her heart to him and heart to the spies, as I said, they, in verse 8 to 13, we read, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below." Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. So in her conversation, Rahab acknowledges the fact that she knew the Lord had given them the land. You see, what God had been doing in the, with the children of Israel, what God does in our world is not done in a corner so no one sees it. Even if you flipped into to chapter 4 when they crossed the Jordan, God said that he did it so all the people of the earth would know that the Lord's hand is power, powerful. And so we see here Rahab in coming to them said that they knew that God had had. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. It's unfortunate that the people 40 years ago, when the spies did the first time, the people already knew that as well. 
But as well, she said, she knew about the defeat of Sion and Og, whom they had only recently defeated. It says that that battle occurred, you go back into Numbers, after Aaron had died, and Aaron died in the 40th year, the fifth month after coming out of Egypt. And so we see in, in our text as well that Rahab not only knew the fact, the fact of what God has done, but we also see here that she also, there was implications. So it says in our text, it says, great fear of you has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Rahab knew the hearsay, she knew the facts, as I, I'm sure everyone in that city did. But she wasn't stupid, she was observant. She knew the implications that that had had in the people, with the people that she d- dwelt with. And in a very real sense, when you look at Rahab, what did that fear cause her to do? Because I suppose, and there maybe were many of them, that fled as refugees to get out of the country looking for safety. But we see here that that fear that Rahab, as she knew the facts, that fear, in a very real sense, led her to, to faith. And so we see here, even in our text, where it talks about, look at how she calls the name of God. In the second line there, it says, by the Lord that you will show kindness to me. And so in our English Bible, when we see the Lord spelled in capital letters, well, what is that word? See, when at the burning bush, Exodus chapter 4, Moses had asked God to give him his name, and God said, his name is I am who I am. They, God would refer him to himself as I am. They would refer to God as he is, the th- in third person pointing to God. And so in our English Bible, rather than write it out that way, when we see it spelled in capital letters, it's that covenant name for God. The Hebrew alphabet doesn't have vowels, and and the Jewish people wouldn't pronounce the name of God. And so when our Bible was translated in the authorized version, they would render it as Jehovah. We would probably say it was better pronounced as Yahweh. But But I said... What happened with Rahab, she not only knew facts about God, but she herself had adopted the name of God. And you see that fullness in verse 11 where she says, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So Rahab herself, based on what she had heard, had brought this conclusion that this was the only true God. And that knowledge moved from her head down into her heart as she responded to God in faith. And I want you to again see that, and because of that, I want you to see this actions that flowed from this choice she made to place her faith in God, who she only vaguely knew. Again, woven into this text, it's not explicitly stated, but you see that God had led the spies, as it were, to her door for their protection and her deliverance. And then she makes this request. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord to show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. You'll spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. Rahab, Rahab, who was a prostitute, Rahab now as I, deals with her family with open, hand, open hands. She doesn't explicitly even ask to be, for her own life to be saved, does she? She's first and more prominently asking for the lives of others. And so the spies there agree with the bargain that they struck, and there in the middle of the night, she lets them down uh, by a rope from her window. 
And again, taking charge, what does she tell him to do? She says, don't go back by way of the Jordan. Don't go east. Go west. Hide in the hills for three days. Once the spies have returned back, you can head home. And they tell her then to, to, after telling them, they tell her to tie this scarlet cord. So where the scarlet cord from, we're not told. Was it what she was using for a belt? Was it something to tie back the curtains again? The text doesn't tell us. But she, they tell her to, when they come to tie the scarlet cord in the window. But again, what does Rahab do? Because we can look at the next few chapters in the book of Joshua. The children of Israel had to cross the Jordan, which they did by God's miraculous hand who caused the water to pile up. They crossed the Jordan, then they observed the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, another seven days gone. Then they circumcised all the men again because they hadn't been circumcised while they were wandering. They had to heal from their wounds. And then they had to come to take Jericho. What did they do? They had to walk around the city seven days. And as they walk around the city, everybody would have noticed that red cord hanging from the window. But Rahab didn't wait till they showed up because she could have seen them coming out of her window. She immediately did what? She tied the cord in the window. She's a woman of action. Now, to kind of unpack some of this, there's a couple verses in the New Testament that I want us to look at. In Hebrews 11.31, which we would call faith's hall of fame, kind of the roll call of mighty people of faith, in verse 31, it says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You have the same thing in James chapter 2, where it says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And in a church context, we often bounce around the word faith. Even in the news, they talk about faith communities and stuff like that. Well, but I want us to just pause because we want to talk about faith and flaws. She had major flaws, but I want us to look at her faith. And, and so we see in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance what we do not see. And so when we're talking about faith, it goes on in chapter 3, it says, or verse 3 of Hebrews 11, it says, by faith we understand that God made the universe, was formed at God's command. So faith is the idea of taking something that we've never seen, something we've never experienced it, and accepting it as fact. But it's more than that. Because faith is more than just an intellectual acknowledgement. When you come into the book of Hebrews 11, or chapter 11, the book of Hebrews, hey, faith is always accompanied by action. And, and so I often, when I talk to people, we, people talk about faith, it's very easy to. You meet people, and as I talk to them, they would say, yes, I believe God made the world. And there's lots of people that would admit that. I meet people that say, yes, Jesus died for my sins. I believe that. But it doesn't change anything. Well, I have to tell you, if there's no change, what Scripture's teaching us, there cannot be faith. Hebrews 11, what happens? Abel brings an offering. Abraham leaves Ur, sacrifices his son. Rahab um, protects the spies and sends them another way. Another way that Rahab here gives us this tangible example of faith. 
as it springs into action. Because as I said, faith that does not impact behavior cannot be faith. And as well, as, as well, you look at the Hebrews 11, there's only two women mentioned in Hebrews 11. Who, are, who were they? should ask some of you Bible scholars. There was Sarah in verse 11, and there's Rahab in verse 31. And there's some question whether verse 11 is referring to Sarah as a hero of faith or Abraham. I think our authorized version makes it look like it was Sarah. Our NIV would make it look like Abraham. But you have Rahab the prostitute, this woman of ill repute, is held up for us as this shining example of faith. And that's not all. Because you look at the people listed in Hebrews 11, they were all from the godly line. Abel, Enoch, Abraham. They were all descendants of the children of Israel, except one. Who? Rahab, the Canaanite woman. And she, again, as she stands out to us as this shining example of faith. And to help, I want to make sure we don't jump to the wrong conclusions because you need to understand the process. Because what we were seeing that Rahab came to a conclusion. So she heard about God. She made a choice to follow God. And we see this theme rolling out in her life. And based on that choice of placing her faith in God, it sprang into, into action. That fear in a very real sense led her to faith. And so as I would say, there's always a cause and effect of faith. If there's no effect then there cannot, there cannot have been faith. So you see that even in Jesus' ministry. Like you look at the commencement of Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we have Jesus saying what? He said, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Do what? Repent and believe. Repent and have faith. And so you see, when we look at Scripture, we, come, we enter a relationship with God, we're saved. Ephesians chapter 2 there's numerous places. We're saved on the basis of faith, not by actions. So it's not what we do that saves us, but what they're saying is there's always a cause and effect of faith, that there's an implication. So faith, genuine faith, must flow out into repentance. And I think that's very relevant for us today because it's very easy to come to church and we kind of have a Christian culture and our kids can go to Sunday school so we finally have some peace and quiet. The song's are good, subject to your taste, of course, and you can listen to the words that are being said or you can tune them out. But coming to church and participating in a Christian culture is not faith. There's a cause and effect to faith. That real faith results in action. So does it cause me to go deeper in my relationship with God? Does it cause me to be integrated in the community of other Christians, because much of what God does in our lives is done in community. Ephesians chapter 4. What is, what is that impact? And as I said, it's very helpful as we sit here even this morning, or you're watching online, as it were. How has faith changed me? Because you can look at Rahab, and for Rahab, her faith changed everything. And so it leaves me with the question, what is that implication in my life? I should quickly make a comment on Rahab's ruse, her lie. Was she right to lie? Some people argue something to argue about. Um, the Bible doesn't say, so 
we're foolish to waste time, spending a whole lot of time arguing about it, but obviously uh, in, the, in the commandments, we're told not to bear false witness. We're told not to lie. Whether Rahab knew lying was right or wrong, it doesn't really say. But it points to me this amazing fact that this faith based on limited knowledge and a vague understanding of God was all she needed to become right with God. But it does force me. Is my faith changing me? Is it driving me forward uh, in my relationship with God? But Rahab's story doesn't end there. We can go into chapter 6, 22 and 23. The walls have now fallen down. What does Joshua tell them to do? But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Now, we don't hear about Rahab again in the Old Testament, but we find we come into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, where we read, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and then what's the next verse? Jesse was the father of who? King David. And the line would go on from there. See, we, we're not told anything more in the Old Testament about Rahab, but we, as we look at it, we look at the impact her faith had on her and the lives of the people that followed her. Because I can picture it. Rahab now comes into the camp. They put her outside on the outside of the camp on the fringe. You have this woman who would have maybe dressed strange. Did she still dress as a prostitute? Scripture doesn't say, but she wouldn't have known the dietary laws or temple worship or the festivals or the ashes of the red heifer or the list goes on, all those things. She would come in totally ignorant of what was going on, but she didn't stay outside the camp. And I find that very relevant because I meet people and when maybe you first come to faith and you come into a church context and maybe that's you here today and it's all kind of strange. Well, we see Rahab made choices then from the place she found herself to become integrated in, to be woven into the body of the Israelites, just as God is calling us to make choices to be woven into the body of believers. Not always easy choices, but there was choices that she made just as there's choices that we need to make to go deeper in our relationship with God. And in that process as well, we see how she was changed because Rahab, it says, married Salmon. Who was Salmon? You can go back in the book of Numbers. Salmon was a prince, the prince, one of the princes of Judah. So, so Rahab, from that position of being an outsider, changed through the process as God worked in her life and was remade her into what she was become. You can look at that beautiful story of Ruth and Boaz. Two books later, the book of Ruth is all about that. Boaz reached out and, and ultimately married Ruth, a Moabite, a foreigner, a Gentile, damaged goods, as it were. And you kept wondering, did Boaz learn how to treat Ruth because of what he learned from his mother? Again, Scripture doesn't say. Um, and you see that ultimately, Ruth was an ancestor of Jesus Christ. God would take this Canaanite woman, this woman of ill repute, 
this woman that we sometimes would want to say is damaged goods, and he wove her into the kingdom of God. You see, her past mistakes and her failings and her flaws, as it were, was not what characterized her, but it was a change that occurred. Because I find it very interesting in the text that here in Hebrews 11 and in James chapter 2, they still refer to her as what? Rahab the prostitute. But the beauty is in terms of what God is doing in our lives is God doesn't just, he forgives us our sins, he doesn't sweep things away as if they never happened, does he? But he takes all those things as he remakes them into this beautiful recreation so that Rahab the prostitute wasn't a name, a derogatory name, but it was a thing of beauty, as we see here in the text. So then in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, because we see it in Rahab, and he's doing the same in us who have reached out to him by faith, where it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in closing, just one last question. Because we always, when we come to Scripture, ask to ask, where do I sit in this text? Because you see the truth of the matter, and you see this principle played out again with Noah, the children of Israel, Lot and Sodom, you now have Rahab that all of us, because of sin, are born where? Well, we're born into the city of destruction. And we have this call of God that we can either ignore or dismiss, or like Rahab, would we reach out by faith and make it personal? Not tying a scarlet cord as much as taking advantage of what Christ did on the cross, forgiveness of sin, and tying that cord to my heart. And as we see in this text, from that point of faith, we see this beautiful unfolding, this tapestry of what God would do as he remade all, something altogether new from Rahab. God's doing the same with us. And then the question is that I have to ask myself when I'm confronted by this woman of faith and flaws, am I, do I have a faith that is driving me forward deeper into my relationship with God, taking his word and bringing it home? Or am I wanting just, am I just a bystander sitting outside the camp? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, as we think of this faith that you've called us to, we ask that your spirit would continue to shine its searchlight on our hearts and show each of us those things that we need to do to move forward in faith because you tell us to, that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, work in our midst here today, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.